Okay, the reading is taken from the Gospel according to St. John, chapter 10, reading from verse 1 to 18. And we'll just pray for Joel as he brings God's word to us. Father God, we just thank you for this opportunity that we can gather together, read your word, Lord, and understand it, and for the freedom in this country, Lord, to to speak about you, to preach your word. And we just thank you, Lord, that it is our guide and our comfort in all situations. I pray that you will be with Joel as he brings the word to us. In Jesus' name, amen. I am the good shepherd. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of the strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who come... All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. He who, is hired, he who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep, I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice, for there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life, that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. Morning, everyone. Thank you, um, In a moment, uh, after this, we're going to sing a song uh, called Good, Good Father. 
And um, in the bridge it says, you are perfect on all your ways. And um, this morning, I truly, truly believe that. Um, this morning we're, look, we're talking about new life. And um, I think God in his, in his own way, he's got me preaching it. Andrew and Glenn aren't here. He's got fresh painted walls here. <laughs> I didn't know Simon and Christine's news until this morning, but I think God's perfect in all of his ways as we talk about new life this morning. Um, and particularly, as Jesus says, you know, I've come that they may have life and have it to its fullness. And um, I think my papa lived that out pretty well. It wasn't glamorous. It wasn't luxurious. He didn't have a massive nice title or a really big house or anything like that but um, I think if I had asked him if he had lived a good life he would say yes because he knew Jesus and he lived that relationship and so God is perfect in all of his ways and as I reflected this week I reflected that life in its fullness is not about fancy cars it's not about um, massive holidays and all this stuff that we get caught up into but it really is about knowing our good, good Father. And from that comes hope and peace and joy, and satisfaction, purpose and meaning. And that's essentially my whole message this morning <laughs> in 30 seconds. Um, particularly in the book of John, there's this theme of, um, John talks a lot about eternal life. Um, and the way that the Gospel of John talks about eternal life is a similar way to how the other Gospels talk about the kingdom, the kingdom of God. It's sort of this um, future reality that breaks into our present. And, if, and so, we not, we, for me at least, I understand, that, I understand that about the kingdom. The kingdom of God is this future reality that breaks into our present uh, as Jesus reigns on earth currently. Not just in the future, but He currently reigns. Um, in the same way, eternal life um, is this future reality that comes into our present. But the only way that happens is by knowing the eternal king. And the eternal king lives in us. And so there's this sense that, um, you know, Christ in us, the hope of glory, that it's a present reality. And so as we look at what Jesus says, you know, he talks about life and life in its fullness. It's this idea that eternal life is ours here and now. Not in its complete you know, glory, but in a taste. You know, the gospel is not just, um, you know, we often, we often minimize the gospel to John 3, 16. Jesus loves you. He came to die for your sins. Um, believe in him and you won't perish and you go and you have eternal life. Which is true. But Jesus doesn't just give us a ticket to heaven and say, wait and wait your turn and I'll see you in a few years. As great as that is, that is, that is really good news. And I, I've, I sort of, that hit me this week, that, that, that is actually good news, but it's so much more than that as well, is that Jesus says, I've come that you may have life and life to its full now, that eternal life comes into our present as we know the eternal King in our hearts. And so, as we, um, we've been unpacking the, um, the master plan, this idea of moving people in following Christ, um, we've been looking at the Great Commission, that this sort of whole structure of the Great Commission is sort of formed... I guess, our series over the last few, few months. And the easiest way to explain the Great Commission is, that, is to go to, like, the original language. You know, I, I sort of nerded out this week to sort of distract myself, and so I went into Greek homework. Um, very exciting stuff. 
And um, there's four verbs in the Great Commission, all right? Four verbs. There's go, make disciples, baptize, and teach, okay? However, one is imperative, and the other three are sort of secondary. So it's like, um, I'm sure we've all sort of heard this before. Someone will say to you, go, clean your room, pick up your rubbish, and bring down your washing, all right? We've all sort of heard that commission, I guess, now, the key verb there is not go. That's how I often treat it. I just go to my room and then I think about the other things. You know, I study the other things. But no, God says, uh, God says, you know, we, our mom says, you know, go clean your room. That's the key verb. And unless you pick that up, unless you pick up the key idea of that, everything else sort of doesn't make sense. In the same way, the Crate Commission is go make disciples, key verb baptize them, and teach them. And so we've been unpacking these secondary verbs with the idea of learning more about the key verb. Does that make sense? So we've been unpacking, okay, what does it mean to go? What does it mean to baptize? What does it mean to teach? With this idea of how do we make disciples better for our lives? And so over the last few weeks, we've been looking at baptism and, and what, what does baptize them mean? What, is, what does that look like? What does Jesus mean when he says that? And essentially... Um, there's been these three ideas that we've thought about that it means salvation, it means sort of this cleansing, this forgiveness of sins that Andrew talked about. Um, two, it's this sort of initiation. Um, it's particularly in the early church, um, baptism was almost this initiation into the community. That was, how, like, that was the sign that you're in, that you're a part of this family. And um, it was a public declaration of people saying like, yeah, I, I'm with Jesus. And not only that, they were welcomed into community. So that's what Glenn talked about a couple weeks ago. And today we look at how baptism is a sign of new life, that we are raised with Christ. And I think the key thing on all this, it's what Andrew talked about, and I think it's what Glenn talked about as well, that this isn't just for me. It's not just about what does new life look like for me, but it's, also, it's more so um, how am I helping others in that? How am I helping others move into this new life? How am I helping others to move to follow Christ? So particularly as we go through this morning, may we keep that in mind. So what is the abundant life? I was thinking about that this week. What, what is an abundant life? What makes a good life? And as I mentioned before, we've been reflecting on Papa's life and reflecting on my life. And I don't know, there's a lot of times when life doesn't feel like it's abundant. You know, other versions say life to the full. You know, there's challenge, there's struggles, suffering, death. There's all these things that go on in our lives. And, and I think what's happened, and it's only Di touched on it. I, I thought she said, you know, that we've sort of believed this lie of what goodness actually is, of what fullness actually is. Um, and we, we chase after things. I know in my life, you know, it's... It's about money and power and status and popularity and significance and um, adv- holidays and adventures. And if I do all that, then I'll have this full life. You know, it's so like the Pepsi Max ads. You know, anyone at least to have these Pepsi Max ads, like um, live it to the max or something. You know, and these guys in an airplane and they're jumping out and they're like, don't worry, there's no sugar. And he's like, it's, that's life to the full, we think. That's the maximum life is sort of doing crazy things and... You know, our culture's conditioned us to think like this and that that is what a big life is. And what happens is we bring that to our Bible and we go, 
okay, life to the full, and we go, okay, that's it. It's living the dream, doing what I want, having great experiences and all that sort of stuff. But time and time again, we hear stories about how money and how status and all these things, adventures, they, they don't add up. They don't satisfy. They don't bring satisfaction. There's always this craving for more. And so life to the full for me is, is just that. It's that sort of I've eaten my meal and I'm full. You know, I've eaten my big curry and I'm full. Like I cannot eat anymore. I am satisfied, you know. But I think when we consistently eat the wrong things, there's always this craving and hunger for more. And I think that's what happens with life. And so we need to hold on to the truth. The truth. And, and, and like Ani Dai said, that the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. That the enemy is working against us to not live the life God wants us to live. And so things do come up in our life, like challenge, like suffering, and, and all these things come up. And we need, to be, we need to hold on to God's truth, that in all things, He's perfect in all of His ways. In all things, He's working together for the good of those who love Him, Romans 8, 28. We need to hold on to these things. You know, I was, I was thinking, you know, throughout the Bible, all throughout the Bible, the enemy is trying to undermine God's people. Yeah, it's essentially like his role in the story. Uh, he's trying to rob God's people and I, I was thinking of it, like God performs, I like, this is a way I've been thinking about it this week, you know, I don't know why, but it's like God performs a stone table. It's like a wrestling move, all right? So think of your wrestling ring. Um, you've got God's people and you've got the enemy in the other corner and they're going at it and then out of nowhere, God comes up and pulls a big stone table, all right? And you probably think, what's a stone table? Yeah. Yes, you want to know? All right, so Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe. How many of you have seen the movie or read the book? Surely, like most people have seen it. You know, there's this, you know, Aslan. You know, Edmund's been captured and the White Witch um, sort of negotiates, and Aslan offers his life, said, okay, take me, let Edmund go. And um, there's that scene of Aslan tied to the stone table. Yeah, and the witch has got the knife and she's thinking that she's won. Like Aslan's going to die. And we've completely won. And we're going to wipe the Narnians out. And so Aslan dies. But little does, he kn- little does the witch know that there's a secret of the stone table. Yeah, there's something more about the stone table. That when an innocent person gives their life for someone else on the stone table, that person doesn't actually die. And so the stone breaks. And then, you know, the girls, Lucy and, and Susan, see her. And then Aslan sort of sort of comes to life and he goes and they win the battle. And I think that's what God does. That's our God, the stone table guy, the one that although the enemy thinks he's got victory, God is working something underneath that completely changes the situation. You know, it happens all throughout the Bible. You know, Joseph, Joseph, you know, sort of the favorite child of, of Jacob, the, you know, the hope for Israel and he gets thrown into a pit and he ends up in Potiphar's house. He gets thrown into prison then and then he ends up in the king's palace, able to save a nation as he has a dream and saves food for seven years so that for the seven years of famine, everyone can live. I was thinking of the Philistines. The Philistines think they've got the battle won when they send out their giant. You know, and the giant, they've been raising up this giant and they send out the giant and fear comes across the whole nation of Israel. And what's God been doing behind the scenes? He's got a little shepherd boy. <laughs> You know, Jesus, this is the great example, you know, Jesus gets betrayed and murdered and, 
the crowds sort of turn on him and the enemy probably thinks, this is it, he's got it. Jesus is on a cross and dying, but three days later, Jesus rises from the dead and God is the victorious one. Always, always, every story throughout the Bible, God is victorious, even though the enemy thinks he's got things won. He's performing the stone table and the same is true now for our lives. That even though our lives don't seem abundant and don't seem full, don't seem like God's in control, God is always victorious and God is always working together for the good of those who love him. And that is the new life. That is the hope that we carry, that, that God is in control. That there are no accidents, that God is perfect in all of his ways and he is a good, good father. And my question is, 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 is do we really believe that? You know, faith is being, you know, faith is uh, believing in what you cannot see and being certain of what you hope for. So even the times when I cannot see that this life is going as it should, and even when I cannot see the abundant life, and even when I cannot see the victory of God, I'm going to believe it. That's faith. That's faith. Even when it feels like following Jesus is all rules, and it's boring, and it's not working, and I don't see any lives being impacted, even then, I'm going to have faith, I'm going to hold on, and I'm going to keep going, because I'm certain of what I cannot see. That's faith, and that's what I'm praying God will keep growing in us as individuals and as a collective. Because I think when we believe it, two things happen. When we really believe it, two things happen. One, it's the Glendecker line. It puts a spring in your step, and it puts a smile on your face. Seriously, when you actually believe that, if you actually believe that God has the best life for me, that transforms the way that you look at your life and every day. And two, if we really believe that, I think what you believe in, you share. What you, what you really enjoy is what you share. You know, we had a few people over yesterday, and uh, we enjoyed a Bulldogs victory. <laughs> as much to Mitch Durbin's dismay. Um, we enjoyed it, and, and there was sort of this, we didn't even, no one, lo- no one followed the Bulldogs, like, as their team. But, like, everyone gets into it, and all of a sudden, you know, there's high fives going around, and hugs, and all this stuff, I'm like, we enjoy it. We enjoy that sort of underdog story and we enjoy and so we get into it. How much more show should we enjoy the story of God and the victory of God and then share that with everyone around us? See that that is the new life that Jesus has for us and that is the new life that we should be sharing with others. Knowing that God is in control, knowing that with him. You know, it's this idea that a relationship with him that is the key. All throughout the chapter, that's all it talks about, is knowing the shepherd's voice, knowing that the shepherd lays down his life for the sheep, knowing that, you know, God is, it only talks one verse about life to the full, and all the other verses are about knowing his voice and knowing his sacrifice. And so that's what we want to look at this morning. So one, quickly, the voice of the shepherd. What does that look like? You know, I, I, I sort of had this thought this, this week, in the last couple of weeks, that I think often, for, I know for my life, and I think often for our lives, is that we don't experience life in all of its abundance because we're listening to the wrong voices. Not just about um, what a good life looks like, but just listening to the wrong voices about ourselves. How often have I been convinced of my guilt and shame, brought into despair, 
you know, or unworthiness, you know, laziness, busyness. You know, we were at the GLS, you know, a couple of weeks ago, and on the Friday, um, there was a speaker named Danielle Strickland, uh, who was from the Salvation Army, and she talked about Gideon. You know, God had sort of called Gideon and says, you know, arise, mighty warrior, you know, go and lead my people. And, and he says, well, I'm, I'm the youngest of my family. My family is the smallest in its clan, and our, our, our tribe is the smallest in Israel. And so it's the idea that that's the tape he's been playing. You know, he's been, he's been talking about all his life. He's been told, you're the youngest, our family's the smallest, our tribe is the smallest. You are not that important. And he's been told that his whole life, and that's the response he gives to God. God says you're a mighty warrior, and he just plays this tape that he's been playing over and over again. And I think, how many times do we hear God's voice, but respond with our tape? Where we say, actually, I'm not good enough. Or my classic one, I'm not ready. (laughs) I'm not ready yet. Or I'm not gifted enough. You've got the wrong family member. (laughs) You should have got him not me, you know, and we hear God's voice and we hear God's call and we, re- we respond with our tape. And I think it's important to recognize, like, what is the tape? What is that voice you're listening to? What is the lie that we've believed? Because here's the thing, I think we believe the voices in our head, we believe those voices and it leads us away from life that Jesus has for us. Because I think God is much more concerned about who we are than what we do. And so those voices are actually really important because our identity is what we carry with us everywhere we go. And so sometimes it doesn't matter what we do, but our identity, who we are, is really important. So God is much more concerned about speaking life into that than he is about sort of just making sure we do the right things. And so what are the voices? Because the opposite is also true, that that. He says the sheep know the shepherd's voice and that the shepherd's voice is one of life, one of encouragement, one of love. It's gentle and it's kind. And, and I think, do we know that voice? Do we know that voice? Do we hear that voice? Do we seek that voice? You know, do we read it in his word? Do we read what others are saying about his word? Do we, do we listen for it in our music, in our movies, in our in our YouTube binge sessions that I have all the time. You know, the people around us, you know, do we hear the shepherd's voice in the people around us, the communities that we have, the the people that we surround ourselves with? You know, it's not about, you know, just that locking yourselves in a way and making sure, okay, I need to hear the shepherd's voice and and, and I'm not going to do anything else. Like, we're on a mission well, my question is, you know, are, are you seeking the shepherd's voice? Are you making sure that you hear it and that you know it and that you feel yourself with it? And then on the flip side, are you helping others hear the voice of the shepherd? You know, the beauty of the Gospel of John is, you know, Jesus sort of introduces himself here as, as the good shepherd. And then at the end of John uh, he sort of cooks breakfast for his disciples on the beach and he says to Peter, who's denied him three times, and he says to Peter, uh, Peter, feed my sheep. Or, you know, do you love me? He's like, yeah, yeah. Or feed my sheep. Feed my lambs. You know, look after my sheep. And it's this movement of, of Jesus being the shepherd and then empowering the disciples then to also be shepherds and to also care for sheep 
And so there's sort of this sort of, I don't know what the word is, but we are sheep, but we're also shepherds. That we're called to care and to pastor each other, not just in these four walls, but also outside. And so, you know, are our words, is our voice sounding similar to our shepherds? You know, do we speak with the same words, the same tone, the same vocabulary as our shepherd? Do we speak life and hope and love? You know, believing the best in people and helping them to see and hear the shepherd's voice. You know, I was thinking about this. What if, what if people who, you know, I was thinking, because like Gandhi, Gandhi has this famous quote, you know, he sort of says, um, you know, I like your Christ, but I don't like your Christians. You know, your Christ is you know, so much nicer, or I can't remember, than your, than your Christians. And I think, like, what if the opposite was true? What if, like, what if we as Christians were sort of so, we sounded so similar to Christ that when people met Jesus and they encountered Jesus, they were sort of already on familiar terms. You know, what if, what if we spoke life and what if we spoke the hope and joy of the good news into people's life every day as we, you know, encourage one another and we build one another up and we help each other follow Christ, but also the people that don't know him as we help them follow Christ. What if our words sounded similar to our shepherds? So may we continue to know and follow the shepherd's voice. And lastly, you know, all throughout the rest of the chapter, from verse 11 to 18, Jesus talks about um, the sacrifice. Uh, The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. And here's the thing. The life Jesus has for us is completely linked to the life that Jesus gave for us. You can't separate the two. You can't live the good life and the abundant life without knowing the life that Jesus gave for you, without knowing his sacrifice and his death and resurrection. And and that's the sign of baptism, that we're sort of dead with Christ, but then also raised with Christ, that we bury our sins, but we are raised into new life. And and we only know, know, only if we know his death, do we know his life. If we raise and bury our sins, if we bury our sins with him, then we're raised to know life. And not just life now, but life forever. And that is good news. You know, and I think about, like, if you think about, you know, the shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. How important does that make the sheep? You know, like, that's, that's in, it's in the gospel, it's in the cross that we find the other voice. That's where we find what God thinks about us that we are actually worthwhile and we're valuable and that we're chosen and that we are loved. So may we continue to, you know, this idea of preach the gospel to ourselves. May we continually remember the cross and the sacrifice of Jesus because that continually reminds us of the life that we have. And it's also our message. You know, in 1 Corinthians 15, you know, Paul says, you know, I pass on to you Um, what I received of first importance, uh, Jesus Christ crucified, and that he was raised and he's now appeared to the disciples and to many others. Yeah, that's what Paul says. The the first importance, the most important things for me is that is Jesus Christ crucified. That's our message. That's our, that's what we take to people, that Jesus Christ has 
has forgiven our sins, that he's conquered death, that he has victory, and that he gives us life. Yeah, life, life in all of its abundance, you know, it comes at a cost. And we're not the ones to pay. You know, I think about the lives, you know, that, my, that, that I get to live, that my parents got to live, that, that didn't just come just out of nowhere. People had to pay for that to happen. You know, my, my grandparents are the ones that, that made the sacrifice. You know, so generous in their love that we may have the life that we have. And I, th- I think about that, and I think about that, and then I take that sort of time as infinity, and that's Jesus. <laughs> you know, he pays the price that we may have life, and we may have what we have now, and so much more. And not just have it now, but have it forever. And so, do we believe that Jesus has the abundant life for us? Are we going to hold on to that, even when it doesn't feel like it, even when we're not sure about it, that we'll have faith that Jesus has come to give us life in all of its fullness? Are we going to share that? Are we going to seek the shepherd's voice and know that he's, know he's sacrificed? Just as we wrap up, uh, at the end of John, John chapter 20, Jesus has died and he's rose again. He appears to, to Mary Magdalene and to the women and then um, the disciples are locked in a room. And Jesus appears. All the doors are locked and Jesus appears amongst them and they're freaking out. And Jesus says, you know, it's in chapter 20, if you want to read it later, chapter 20, verse 19 through 23. Jesus says, you know, peace be with you. You know, relax. (laughs) It's me. And he says, as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he said this, he breathed on them. And he said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. And if you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. And if you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. This beautiful picture of Jesus breathing on his disciples. You know, it's it's sort of reflective of Genesis. You know, where Genesis, where God sort of forms Adam out of the dust. And then he breathes into him life. The same way Jesus appears amongst his disciples and he breathes upon them. New life. Life empowered by the Spirit. And we're going to be talking about that later in the year. What does that look like? And, but this idea that the Holy Spirit comes into us to live for God, to live with Him forever, now especially, on earth, with the mission, with gifts, with fruit. The Holy Spirit empowers us to live this. And, and it wasn't just given so that some people could have a nice time in, some <laughs> in the four walls. Jesus didn't say, receive my spirit and just hang out in this room and have a great time until I come again. Jesus says, as the Father has sent me, so I'm sending you. And there's this mission, there's this call that we must go out. Just as Jesus came to give life, I think the church is called to go and share that life and to give life as well. And as Jesus says, you know, if you forgive the sins of any, they're forgiven. That, that, that's the call. We're called to carry that message of forgiveness, to preach the gospel, so that people may know Jesus. And as they know Jesus, that they may come into life in all of its fullness. Let me pray.
Father, we, um, we thank you that you gave your life so that we might receive ours. God, I thank you for the price that you paid that we may live with you. And God, I thank you that when we live with you, that you're a good, good father, that you are with us always, that you give us hope and joy and peace, that you give us everything that we need to live on this earth and to live in its fullness. So God, grow our faith. May we constantly just believe that you have a good life for us. It will look different to what the world says is good, but we know that it leads to purpose and meaning and true satisfaction. So Holy Spirit, I pray that you'd fill us as we seek to share this life with each other and with those outside. God, we thank you for who you are and what that means for us. In Jesus' name, amen.